So I sort of already hinted at a little bit what we're going to be talking about today with it being Father's Day, certainly a day set aside for remembering and honoring and celebrating fathers. Uh, and certainly we sort of naturally think of that and we think of earthly fathers, right? Oh, it's a day to maybe get together with family, maybe your parents, you know, or uh, just sort of get together and, and, and send a card maybe as well and honor our parents and tell them, you know, hey, fathers, we appreciate you. We thank you for the sacrifice and, and just celebrate fathers. Um, but often we sort of lose sight of, well, we all have a heavenly father as well, not just our earthly father. And it's not just a day that we ought to think of our earthly father and sort of get together, send the cards, uh, you know, say some kind words of appreciation and, and thanks and so forth. But, but to remember also we have a heavenly father. And, and on this day when we remember fathers, we ought to remember him and take some time to really focus on him as our heavenly father and, and to sort of look at that fatherly role of God the Father and, and really take a look. And that's what we're going to do today, dig deep in Scripture and say, well, well, how is God our heavenly father? Certainly we're going to take a look and, and see how Scripture is quite clear, first of all, that he is a father to us, that he is our heavenly father, but then sort of flesh that out and say, what does that look like? How is God our Heavenly Father? How is he, how does he relate to us in a fatherly way? And sort of flesh that out and see all the wondrous and loving ways and caring ways in which God is a father to us. And just to celebrate him any day, but how much more so on this day, all about fathers and celebrating them, how much more so ought we to celebrate God, our Heavenly Father, and just remember him and honor him right, and pour forth thanksgiving to, to see all of the blessing that we have in him with him as our heavenly father and, and the love and the kindness shown toward us, his children, and just to pour forth thanksgiving, right, as we celebrate and honor and remember him. And so that's really what I want today for for our sermon, even as we're going to sort of get to application and say, well, you know, what's our takeaway? It's ultimately going to be all about God, our heavenly father, acknowledging him, celebrating him, honoring him. So let's really, without further ado, dive right into Scripture and, and say, well, what, is, what does the Bible say about God as our Heavenly Father? What does Scripture say? And we're going to be looking at quite a number of passages here. Uh, I want us to start in Matthew, looking at chapter 6, verse 9. And here it's Jesus speaking, and here he's teaching the disciples how to pray. All right, we have the Lord's Prayer here. It says, this is Matthew 6, 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? And what's significant here, particularly for what we're focusing on, I didn't give the whole Lord's Prayer and sort of, you know, you could do a whole sermon on that, and we actually have somewhat recently done a sermon on that. But I just want to look at this part and notice, right, as Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, uh, how he tells them they can refer to the first person of the Trinity, how they can refer to God the Father, and they can refer to him, and rightly so, as our Father in heaven, right? He's saying this is from Jesus' own lips, right? Certainly he refers to the Father as his Father, but he also says for us as well, God's people, his children, here's how you can refer to God in heaven as your Father, because that is who he is. God is our heavenly Father. And we see this all throughout Scripture. I'll, I'll pick out another verse that sort of illustrates this point, but it's all over the place. And I want to look at John chapter 1, verse 12, and here's what it says. John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, talking about Christ, to all who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
So, so what are we told there? We're told that those who respond to Christ with repentance and faith, those who turn toward him in true saving faith, well, what happens for them? They become children of God. We, when we turn toward the Lord in and, and repentance and faith, we become God's children. And if you just sort of think logically about that, well, if we're his children, what does that make him for us, right? That makes him our father. God is truly our father, and we are truly his children. But I want to dig a little bit deeper here and say, well, so what does this look like? If, if we're God's children, those of us who repent and believe, we trust in Christ, we become God's children, right? Uh, we are adopted as children of God, uh, you know, and He is our Father. What does this look like? What is this fatherly role of God toward us and sort of flesh this out? Uh, and what we're going to see really is that the role of a father and a son right, really is reflective of the relationship of God to his children as well. Sort of the earthly parenting relationship and role of a father toward his children is just like God's relationship toward us, his children. And so as we think of, well, you know, what is the fatherly role, even for us as fathers, sort of what sort of is part of being a father, what sort of part of what that is, what it is to be a father, well, part of it, if you think about it, we might sort of naturally overlook this because it's actually so obvious, but part of it is to actually father children, sort of biology, anatomy, how it all works, right? Ultimately, it's God who creates people. Of course, we know that, but, but fathers and mothers play a role, right, in, in bringing forth new children, and so there is sort of a creative role. If you're a father, well, you have fathered your children. You have played a role in their creation. You have created them on some level. It's God who, who truly creates, but there's sort of some human level of playing a role in, in creation. And so that's sort of part of the fatherly role, a creative role in that, bringing forth children. And as we think of God the Father, well, does he carry out that role? Of course he does. He has created us. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, here's what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, right? God created us, and that's part of the fatherly role of God toward us. But, but not only did he create us, but in a sense, as we're going to read in our next passage, he also, in Christ, has recreated us. He has made us a new creation. Not only did he make us in the first place and create us in this sort of a fatherly role in that, but also he has made us new. He has made us a new creation in Christ. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only did God create us, but he's made us new in Christ, right? It says all this is from God. It's in Christ. It's certainly through the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but it's ultimately from God. He has made us a new creation in his son Christ. So not only did he create us to begin with, and in that sense have a fatherly role, but also as in the role of making us a new creation in Christ, there is a fatherly role. But certainly there's much more than just sort of having that role of actually fathering and creating and bringing forth. There's more to it than just that when we think of, well, what is it to be a father? 
right? And, and we're going to talk more about this. But part of the role of being a father is also involves sort of having authority. That is part of the role of a fa father to have a position of authority over one's children, certainly over the home as a whole, the collective home. But in particular, as we think of sort of the father and child relationship, there is a role of authority. You have that position of authority, and your children are to follow Whatever you say, you give commands and they are to obey you faithfully. That is the role, right? And we think of that in the home as a father says, do this, do that. The children are to obey, uh, faithfully obey their father. But, but how much more so in our relationship with God, recognizing, hey, we're his children. He's our father. We are to obey him. He has this position of authority over us and we are under his authority and to obey him. And we see this authority of God, again, you see it all over the place. You can see that with a lot of the things we're going to talk about. I've picked certain passages, but you can find it all over the place in Scripture. And here I'm going to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, and I'll read it for us. It says, One God and Father of all, again here referencing God as Father, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Right? He's overall. That's what I want to emphasize here. There's this position of supreme authority, of sovereignty over everything, right? Period, end of story. And certainly within that is the reality that he is, of course, the authority over us, his children, right? He is over us. He is over all. We are under his authority. We are his children, and we are to faithfully obey him. That is part of the role of a father, to have that position of authority. And indeed, God has that position of authority in every way, and certainly over his children. But again, there's more to it than that. It's not just, well, a father has authority and he begets his children and that's sort of what a father does and sort of that's it, end of story, right? There's far more to it. And certainly in many ways at the heart of the fatherly role is love, to have love for one's children. Again, as you think of earthly father-child relationship, certainly that ought to uh, characterize at least a healthy fatherly relationship is to be characterized by love wondrous love for one's children. And of course, that is the case for God. He is a father who loves. That is part of that fatherly role. And we see this, again, all over the place, but I've picked for us 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Let me read it for us here. It says, this is how God showed his love among us, right? So this is how God loved us, right? God does love us, but specifically this is how he has acted in love and shown it to us. How? Well, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Right, put simply, this is part of the role of a father, to love, to love one's children and, and love wondrously in a, in a great and glorious way. And, of course, God does that, right? He is very much the epitome of love. It cuts to the core of his character. He is infinite, uh, unfathomable love is just a part of his very character. It's who he is, infinite in love. And, and in this love, what he's, does he do? How does he show it toward mankind? How does he show it toward us, his chosen ones, his children? Well, even though we were steeped in sin, in rebellion, stuck in our sin on, on our own, no way out, no hope on our own, uh, under his judgment, rightfully so, yet because he loved us, he sent his son to go and die on a cross to, to take our place, take our sin, take the punishment, the wrath of God that we deserve so that by grace, through faith in him, we might be forgiven and have everlasting life. And this is the wondrous 
love of God our Father toward us, his children. And certainly he shows this love in all sorts of ways, day in and day out toward us, but we see it in great fashion in this specifically, in the sending of his Son for us to reconcile us to himself. And sort of in this love, we also see other attributes in a sense of the fatherly role. Certainly love is at the, at the heart of it, but also part of what it is to, to be a father is also to provide. That's part of the fatherly role. And this sort of ties in with love, as we just talked about, about love here. It's not just sort of provision in a way that's separate from love, but rather sort of in love, flowing out of love. Part of the role of a father in love toward one's children is to provide for one's children. That's just part of the role. And again, we see that on earth, right? But this earthly father-child relationship is reflective of the greatest, the most significant father-child relationship, right? Of course, God toward us. Certainly the greatest God the Father toward God the Son, but also toward us as well uh, as his children. There's this role of provision that we see here. Uh, And I want to read for us Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 30, and here's what it says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more uh, more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Right? Put simply, what's being said here is that God is our Heavenly Father, and He provides, right? We so often want to spend our lives focused and worried about, oh, you know, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? How am I going to have, you know, shelter and all sorts of provision? And and what Jesus is saying here is you don't need to, to focus on that as though that's what life is all about, right? But rather, you have a Heavenly Father who cares for you who loves you, who, who provides for you. He will take care of you, right? That's just sort of who he is. It's part of his character. As a loving God who is a father, he delights in providing for his children, right? And even as we're talking about this, I want us to sort of be thinking very personally about this as well, even as I'm talking about, you know, Matthew chapter 6 here, 25 through 30, and God's provision, to be thinking at the same time of sort of our own lives and be thinking, well, yeah, you know, I've seen in my life time and again how God has just provided. He's, he's provided with a home or he's provided with a wonderful job. Every need, whether it's my physical needs, those sort of tangible needs, God has just provided day after day, moment after moment, right, those basic needs. But, but even more significantly, as we talked about in First John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, how, how God has provided for our spiritual need, our greatest need, Right? And he did that through his son, how his son made atonement, Christ made atonement for our sins, how God just in every way has provided for us. And just to be pondering that and, and just marveling over the wondrous love of God as our Father, that he would provide for us so graciously and so wondrously. But again, not only does he provide for us in love, but also part of the fatherly role is to protect, again, in love. This sort of flows out of love that, that's certainly central in that, that role of a father, 
but we can sort of be a little more specific and, and talk of how this love is shown. And one of the ways that this love is shown uh, in regard to the role of a father is to protect. Uh, and certainly we see this in earthly, fatherly relationships. That's part of the role of a father, to protect the family, protect children. There is that role, but how much more so for God our Heavenly Father. And again, we see this in Scripture. I, I want to read and, and turn to now here Acts chapter 12. And I want to read specifically verses 1 through 11. And here's what it says. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover, after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Right, and even though he's going to have a trial, in reality, don't, don't think that this is going to be some sort of wonderfully fair public trial, right? The outcome's already determined in, in Herod's mind, right? That, that's just going to be sort of for show to make it seem like at least he had his day in court. But ultimately, right, what's going to happen here if, if nothing remarkable and miraculous takes place? Well, Peter's going to wind up just like James, put to death, right, executed. That's where things are going here. But of course, as we're going to see, God protects and he delivers here. Now, reading verse 6, that's where we left off. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. You can sort of imagine Peter here, sort of, you know, all this stuff seems to be taking place, and his logical conclusion in the midst of it is like, this has to be a vision, this has to be some sort of dream, this isn't really taking place, is it? But of course it was. So verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Right? He understood what was taking place in the sense of, you know, he was, his life was on the line. The Jewish people, Herod, sought to put him to death. Uh, he knew that he needed a miracle, and he recognized exactly what took place. This wasn't some dream. This wasn't some vision. But God had, in fact, protected him, protected him from what the Jewish people sought to do, protected him from what Herod sought to do, and delivered him, right, broke him out of prison, delivered him from that and from what they desired to do to him, putting him to death, right? God is a God who protects his people. It's just, part, again, part of who he is, part of his character, part of his role as a father. He protects his children. He delights in doing so. And it's not like, well, this is one isolated instance, and, you know, God did this this one time for Peter and sort of watched over him and, and protected him and delivered him from what the people sought to do to him. No, God just does this time and again. It's just sort of natural in his love for his children just to delight in and desire to protect them. 
And again, as we sort of think of this, I want us to kind of make it very personal for us, for each and every one of us, and sort of be thinking in your mind, you know, how has God protected me in my life? Maybe in particularly great ways, maybe not quite as miraculous, though maybe so. God has miraculously perhaps protected and guarded some from, from death. Maybe it's just in smaller ways. Maybe, you know, he's protected you from losing a job or your home or who knows what. Uh, I can certainly think of, of times in my life. I can think back to, uh, if I sort of have to think of one time, I, I think back to when I was 17, you know, sort of just gotten my license. You can probably guess a little bit where this is going. Um, so I just had it maybe for six months. I think it was just after Christmas break. Yeah, so I just turned 17. I had my nice flashy red Mustang, rear-wheel drive, about as bad as you could have for driving in the snow, which was, of course, the scenario. I had just gone back to, to school in high school, um, and uh, they had an early release. It was one of those storms that sort of crops up midday, and so they decide, oh, it's best to sort of send kids home partway through the day. So, okay, I got in my car because I, I drove to school and then back. Uh, you know, I was being careful driving in, in snow, but especially in a car that's, that's terrible in the snow. But there was one little stretch headed home where uh, it's sort of downhill, uh, and then it curves to the right. And so I was going down there, sort of going, going reasonably slow, though clearly not as cautiously as I should, should have. And then at one point, there was, there was some ice, and so I hit some ice, started to skid out. And literally, just as I start skidding out, then I see a school bus coming around the bend. I, I can't control the car. No hope of, of really doing much at this point from my perspective of what I can do. I wound up sideswiping the school bus literally from about the front of the bus, you know, way up front, all the way down toward the back. I was fine. The car was a little bit damaged, needed to be fixed up a bit. But I look at that and I think and say, if that was literally just even the teeniest fraction of a second different in the timing of how that played out, I wouldn't have been hitting the side of, you know, the side of the bus but toward the front. If I was just sort of a little, you know, a little off in the timing there, I would have been hitting dead on, straight on, school bus, huge, you know, heavy vehicle, head-on collision. It wouldn't have gone well for me. I don't know if I would be here today. And again, you just change the timing by a tenth of a second, probably even less than that, and that's how it would have played out. And yet to look at that and recognize, you know, th that was God's protection in that moment. That could have gone awfully differently, and yet God protected me. Again, as, as just a loving father does. That's what a loving father does for his children. He just delights in protecting. It took me a little while to, to live that down from sort of a, a family perspective. Every time afterwards that I'd be driving in the car and I'd have family in the car and all of a sudden the school bus would go by, you know, I'd, I'd get razzed by my brother or whoever. Oh, Steve, watch out. Don't, don't, don't hit it. It's a school bus. Um, but uh, God was certainly gracious and, and, and protected there. And I could just think of, of time and again, story after story. I think of my parents just sort of thinking of Father's Day. Sorry, I think of my parents. There was one time they were coming. Uh, while we were living here on Robin Road, just sort of up the street, uh, to visit. And uh, I forget the specifics, if they were coming to watch the kids or just to hang out and visit. Uh, and they were driving my mom's car, and, and just as they pulled into the driveway, the brakes just went out. Out of nowhere, the line just broke. The, the brake fluid, would, you know, did nothing. It just all flowed out and, and was, was, wasn't able to do its job. Now, fortunately, they're pulling into the driveway, going awfully slow in the driveway. You can just put it in park, no big deal. But again, you think of that and say, statistically, what are the odds that the moment that the brakes go is when you're going like two miles an hour pulling into a driveway? 
You know, what are all of the other times along that drive when that could have happened, when they're on the highway and maybe then all of a sudden some traffic happens and things back up and you need to stop or slow down abruptly and then you can't or maybe now you're on Route 9 and you get to one of the red lights and, you know, you're going 50 or whatever and now you need to stop and you have no brakes and what are you going to do? Uh, you can think of all of the other scenarios of how that could have played out and yet the time when they happen to go is pulling into a driveway, right? And you realize that, that that's God's protection. That's not just a coincidence and, oh, we're just lucky that that's how it played out, right? That was God's protection in that moment. And, and as I think about it too, I, I realize the reality is we, in all reality, we only see a little glimpse of all the times that God really has protected us from great and grand things and even from little things, right? The reality is most of the time that God's protecting us, we probably don't even see what he's protecting us from because he never let it play out. He never even let it happen. And so we don't even know in this life all the various things that God has sheltered us from, the way he has prevented harm from coming upon us, the way he's protected us from things. And I can imagine that probably one day in heaven, God will reveal it to us and we will just sing his praises and give him thanks for that wondrous protection. And so just time after time, this is just who God is. It's what he does as our loving heavenly father. He just, he protects. It's part of that fatherly role. But again, he does more than just that. And we can continue on looking at this fatherly role. Part of what he also does as a father is he teaches, he guides. Again, this is part of a humanly fatherly role as a parent, as a father. This is what one ought to do, certainly to teach one, one's child uh, and, and train them up and offer guidance. It's not sort of like, oh, you have a kid and say like, you know, son, daughter, figure it out. I hope, you know, you sort of, you know, carry out a sort of a productive life and know right from wrong on your own and everything goes well for you and you just sort of on your own come to faith in the Lord and, and know how to live an upright life and so forth. No, you don't just sort of leave your child on, on his or her own and hope that it works out well for them, but rather you say, no, it's part of my role to teach and to train and to guide, to show and explain right from wrong, to model it, to offer this example, right, to provide guidance and wisdom and steer children in the right path and to know the Lord and to be faithful to Him and His ways, right? And so there is a teaching and guiding role, and again, that's part of the human fatherly role, but also God's divine fatherly role as well. He teaches and trains and guides. And I want to read for us first here, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And here's what it says. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? God doesn't just sort of leave us on our own to hopefully figure it out, but rather he gives us his word, his spoken word, the scriptures that are God-breathed, breathed out by him, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He gives us his word to guide us, to direct us, to teach us right and wrong, to teach us the truth of the gospel, the truth about who he is. Right? He gives us his word and uses it, his God-breathed word, his spoken word, written down in the scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to teach, rebuke, correct, train in righteousness, as it says. And I also want to read for us here as well, Romans 8, verse 14. It says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Again, not only does, does God give us the scriptures to guide and direct and teach us in life, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us in life. He doesn't sort of, again, leave us on, all on our own to sort of figure it out, this whole life thing. But he gives us his word, his spoken word that's God-breathed, the scriptures. He also gives us the spirit, the Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us, direct us in life, those of us who are his children. 
right? And so we recognize God lives out this role of a father, of teaching, guiding, directing. Part of what God also does as we think of the role of a father is to discipline, sort of that unpleasant role, uh, realistically unpleasant from both perspectives, you know, whether you've been the child who's been dis disciplined, and that's, I'm sure, a reality for all of us, or whether you've been the father doing the disciplining. It's not sort of a pleasant thing. It's not like us fathers, yay, oh, I get this moment to discipline my child. I just look forward to that. That's the best part of fathering. I can't wait for those opportunities. Right? I don't think that's our attitude. But it's something that, that nonetheless needs to take place. Again, it, it sort of flows out of love. If we truly love our children, again, we're not going to sort of leave them on their own and, and provide no guidance and direction. This is sort of one of the ways in which one teaches and guides and directs is through discipline. As their children sort of go off on the wrong track and they want to do their own thing and, and we recognize that's not good, that's not in, in our child's best interest, and so what do we need to do? We need to discipline. That's part of the role of a parent, part of that fatherly role. Even though it's sort of not pleasant for us, I'm sure our children would say they don't particularly love it. Not necessarily so pleasant for them, but nonetheless necessary. If we truly love our children, then we discipline to steer them on the right path, uh, on the, the path of, of godliness and righteous living, to know right from wrong and what's best for them. And again, God does the same thing with us, his children. This is what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 say. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Right? God is our heavenly father. We're his children and in love because he wants what's best for us. He doesn't want to just sort of leave us on our own to our own devices as we sort of head first into sin. He doesn't want that for us. He wants uh, something better for us. He loves us. He, he cares for us. He wants what's best for us. And he says, no, in love I'm going to discipline you, right, to steer you away from that wrong path and to set you on the right path, the path of truth and, and righteousness. And so God is a good and loving father, and in that love he disciplines us, his children. Again, it's not something that we're going to love in the midst of it. It's not like we just love being disciplined. That's the best thing in the world, but it is in our own best interest. And so, as, as we see here in Proverbs, it said, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, right? Not that we delight sort of the downside of the discipline, but we ought to appreciate the benefit of it, the fact that in love God is disciplining us for our own best interest, that we might learn right from wrong and be steered away from sin and toward him and toward faithfulness to him and righteousness and obedience. Now, as we come to our last scripture verse that we're going to look at, we're, we're going to highlight here that part of the role of a father is to set an example. It's not just sort of a do as I say, but not as I do, but rather, no, a, a faithful father says, yeah, do as I say, but also do as I do. I'm going to model it as well. That which I teach you, that which I say is right and true, I'm going to live that out. I'm going to model that for you. Certainly for us as earthly fathers, we're going to do that imperfectly. We're not going to live it out perfectly. We know we still struggle and we still have sin in our lives, but still a faithful father ought to, with a reasonable degree of faithfulness, model, of course, godly living and, and sort of model that for his children. Not just say, do it, but actually then to himself, do it and be an example for his children. And, and God does this as well. And I want to read for us here Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And here's what it says. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice 
to God. Right? We're being told to imitate God, speaking of God the Father here, right? And so if we're to model our living and ourselves after him, right, if we're to imitate him, then that implies he, he provides an example for us to follow after. And indeed he does. Certainly through the scriptures we know of who God is, what his character is like, right? We see that in the scriptures and we're to imitate that as well. But we also see who God the Father is through his actions as well. His action throughout all of history reveals who he is, his character. And so we are to pattern ourselves and imitate him and his character, his qualities. That's what we are to do as his children. That's what children do. They are to follow the example of leading of their father. And so we as God the Father's children, we're to follow him, follow his example. Right, but what this passage is also saying, and even to sort of flesh that out, what does that look like? Well, fundamental to God and his character and who he is, is love. And so if we're going to be imitators of God, well, that's going to be living, mean living a life of love, as it says. But we also realize here, and it sort of speaks of here, Christ and really his example as well. And what we need to realize is, as we're being told to be imitators of God, recognizing, hey, God right, has set a pattern, an example of, of how we're to live and we're to model, right, we're to follow that model example, right, we are to follow that pattern and imitate it, but we also need to realize that, well, not only do we know of who God is through scripture and through his, his action in history, but also uh, we see in Christ himself the very character of the Father. That, that's just sort of the reality of Christ and, and who he is, uh, being of the very same being as the Father, he has the same attributes, the same characteristics, right? He, is, he has the same nature, the same divine nature. He is one in being with the Father. And so as we look at Christ and we see his characteristics, his attributes, as we see how he, he lives, right, that is reflective, perfectly reflective of the Father himself. And so as, as Paul is saying here, be imitators of God, he's also recognizing here, well, and we have an example of, of God the Father, right, in his character. We have an example of his character in Christ the Son, and so if we're going to imitate the Father, we can also imitate the Son who has the same character as the Father. And so he also uses Christ here, the Son, as an example. And he says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what Paul's saying here is, here's what we're to do, right? God sets an example for us. He's our Heavenly Father. We as his children are to imitate him. We are to follow the example that he sets, right? Certainly, yes, we see that in Scripture through his actions, but we see it most notably in his Son, who reflects the same character as him. He is of the same being, of the same nature, right? And so we see the character of the Father in the Son. And so if we are to follow the Father's lead, well, then we ought to follow the leading of the Son, right? And so as we think of, well, we need to imitate God, what does that look like? Living a life of love. And where do we see that? In grand fashion, it's in the Son himself, right? Who loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sort of put simply, coming back to, to God as our Heavenly Father, He sets an example for us, and certainly we, we see His character in the Son, but He sets an example for us, and we as His children are to follow His example. That, that's the reality of it. It's not just a do as I say, but also do as I do, follow my lead, right? Follow the pattern that I set. Reflect me and my character is what God the Father says to us, His children. But I kind of want to come back here, big picture here, and, and sort of summarize what we've talked about and then speak to, well, what, what's our challenge? What's our application? How do we apply this to our lives, right? We've certainly talked about God, Him as our Heavenly Father. We've looked at that from Scripture, but also sort of fleshed out, what does that role look like? Well, God creates us, and He even recreates us, makes us a new creation in Christ. 
part of the fatherly role is, is to have that position of authority. It's to, to, show, to have and show love and to provide and protect, to teach, guide, lead, to discipline, to set that example as well. Right? So as we think of God as our Heavenly Father, especially on Father's Day, again, this day set aside for remembering fathers, acknowledging them, acknowledging that role, right? and just sort of celebrating and giving thanks for fathers, we ought to remember our greatest Father, our Heavenly Father, and recognize that He is a Father to us. And no ordinary Father, but a wondrous, glorious, perfect, incredibly loving, unfathomably loving Father to us. And what I want for us as our application is just to this day, but, but not for this to end once, well, hey, Father's Day is over, so let's forget our Heavenly Father. But, but certainly we have to carry this on day in and day out, but how much more so today? I want for us this day as it's Father's Day to remember our greatest Father, our Heavenly Father, and just to celebrate Him. As I said, it's a day for celebrating fathers. We gather together, we honor our fathers, we write our cards and our notes and send them and sort of share our thoughts and our appreciation and give thanks. Well, let's do the same for our Heavenly Father. Let's spend the day celebrating Him, celebrating His goodness as our loving and wonderful and perfect Father. Let's take the time just to think of all of the ways in which He has been a good Father to us, all the ways He has loved us, and incredibly so, and shown that love to us, whether it's through sending His Son, and we see His love wonderfully in action there, whether it's all of the ways that He's just provided for us, and wondrously so, even though we deserve none of it. Uh, all of the ways in which He has protected us, many of those ways we have no knowledge of, and yet He's still done it, right? All of the ways that He has taught us and guide us, guided us and, and has led us through life, the times that He's disciplined us, we may not have loved it in the midst of it, but now to be able to look back on it and say, I needed that. I needed that discipline, and I am blessed as a result of it, and just to give Him thanks and praise for it and, and, and to recognize the wondrous example that he has set for us and, and just to follow in that. And so I want us to take the time to look at our Heavenly Father and all of the ways he has been a father to us and just to marvel and, and wonder, to celebrate him, to give him thanks for being that good and loving father. And again, not just to do that today, but to do it really day after day after day and just to celebrate him. I also want to take sort of a, a second step. This is sort of a, a secondary application, really the one that I already gave. I want that to be first and foremost. But also as we recognize, hey, well, we are to reflect God's character. He sets an example for us, and we are to follow his example. Well, we also, those of us who are fathers, have a fatherly role, right? Those of us who have children who are fathers, we recognize, well, we have a role that is given by God, and it's a fatherly role. And Christ, uh, God himself, that is, has set the example in that of what it is to be a father, what it is to be that loving and good father. And I want to challenge those of us who are fathers, and I can also include mothers, all parents here in this, to recognize those of us who are parents, who have that parenting role, uh, to recognize, again, that God has set an example in what it is to be that faithful father, to be that faithful parent, and to say, we have been given a role as well. It is a great privilege, also a great responsibility being that father or mother, and to take that role seriously and say, I need to follow the leading of my heavenly father and be a faithful father or be a faithful mother to my children. Whether that's those of us who may have young kids and to say, hey, you know, it's so important to be that faithful father, train those children up well and to love them and care for them and, and, and to provide and protect, teach, guide, discipline, set that example. Or maybe it's even, well, hey, my, my children have grown up. 
they're adults now. Does that mean, hey, my fatherly role or motherly role, it's just sort of pointless now and, and it's nothing? No, that's not the case. Certainly it, it changes. The relationship will change and morph over time. But that doesn't mean that you can't still have a role of sort of imparting wisdom and guidance and so forth and still in some way carrying out that role of a father. And so whatever the situation is, whether young children sort of still very much under your authority or whether they've grown up and they're adults, uh, I just want to challenge us as we think of God as our Heavenly Father and just how perfectly He carries out that role to be challenged as well uh, for us as parents to faithfully live out that parenting role. Ultimately, first and foremost, for God and service to Him for His glory, but also for the blessing and betterment of our children, just out of a heart for them and wanting the best for them to carry out that role faithfully. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Father in heaven, thank you for being just that, our Father. And a loving Father, a good Father, one who has brought us forth, created us, and not only created us, but made us new as well, a new creation in Christ. You have authority over us, Lord, and we delight in being under your authority with you as our Father, us as your children. Thank you for your fatherly love and in that love that you provide for us, you protect us, you teach, you guide, you lead, you direct, you discipline, and you set an example for us to follow in. And as we think about you as our wondrous and glorious and unfathomably loving Father, May we, on this day especially, with it being Father's Day, just celebrate you. May we just honor you and praise you and glorify you as you so rightfully deserve. May we take the time to ponder in great detail every way in which you have been a good and loving Father toward us. And just to be amazed by it and to celebrate and just to give you the thanks and praise that you rightfully deserve. And then may we also, those of us who are fathers, who are mothers, who are parents, recognize that we have been given a parenting role as well. And we have been called to carry it out faithfully. And may we be challenged to do so for you, for your glory, and for the blessing and betterment of our children. In your name we pray. Amen.